Okay, folks, if I could um, draw your attention back to the front, there'll be plenty of time to keep talking. Balta's doing a great job of hosting, isn't he? Um, this, this next 15 minutes is going to be about um, a vision of what might be possible. Becca's going to put the slides up as well as take photographs and do the cooking and uh, do admissions and so on. So if we just, um, just go back to the overall lame on the next slide, um, just to remind you that we're trying to create a passionate conviction that courageous multiplication of disciples is essential and to equip us with some strategies and principles to help us. That's the overall purpose of these two days. And the purpose of this session is to sort of evaluate, if you can go to the next slide, Becca, uh, evaluate um, what the church will look like in 30 years if we do not give ourselves to the courageous multiplication of disciples and dream about what it could look like if we did. This will help us understand what's at stake. So... Um, in Acts 19, 9 and 10, I'll just read that to you. This is describing Paul's ministry. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he, Paul, withdrew from them, took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Isn't that amazing? He gave himself to a particular task for a two-year period and saw some absolutely amazing fruit. Now, as we were discussing um, the gathering, Walter said, it's a bit like Ikea. And uh, that sort of opening remark always makes people's ears prick up. In the sense that the way Ikea do things is that they welcome you into their showroom. And so as you go through the top floor, you are guided through display after display of what might be possible. And so you're going through, ah, whoo, wow. You know, an open wardrobe would look lovely if all my shirts were white. <laughs> Pictures would look great if all my friends were models. And then what happens is, when you get to the warehouse, you have to build it yourself. But because you've seen what might be possible, you're willing to do it. And so what we thought is it would be helpful to try and take ourselves through a process like that. Just to imagine the showroom so that when we get to the warehouse, we're willing to do the work. I just had a little bit of a think about what our church would look like in 30 years if we didn't give ourselves to the courageous multiplication of disciples. And just focusing for a moment on our eldership, this is where we would be. Our youngest elder would be about 65 years old. Uh, with the others in their 70s, and undoubtedly our team would have shrunk from five currently to three, 
I'm not saying they would have died. I'm just saying they <laughs> may not want to be elders anymore. This would have been better if they hadn't been in the room. <laughs> so it would be a small team, uh, an older team, and we would be too busy with those reduced resources. We'd be too busy caring for the church to, to reproduce ourselves. So the likelihood of reproduction would have gone down. Now that's just focusing in on one specific area of church life, but it's good sometimes to have a reality check, a kind of face the facts moment. When it comes to eldership, I think a lot of elders just think God is going to provide like manna from heaven at the right time. Now, I believe that God does provide like manna from heaven. But wouldn't it be great to be part of that solution, to actually develop elders meaningfully? About four years ago, three years ago at City Church, we decided to that our eldership of five was in good shape, and we didn't need any more elders this was the perfect time to start developing them. There was no drama. There was no pressing need. So we identified 10 guys. We put aside 5,000 pounds for three years. We took them away on residential weekends, which we paid for. We did discipleship of them. We asked them to attend a quite rigorous schedule of meetings and homework. We developed opportunities for them to get on with the job. And now, three years later, have the joy of having 10, 10 families who have our values, who've had input, who've got strong relationship with us that we've had opportunity to evaluate at close quarters, who are ready to be deployed. Isn't that wonderful? And that's, that was only three years. Barry and Linda Pepia are here. Would you mind just standing up so that we can give you a round of applause? And I'll tell you why in a minute. Give them a round of applause. Come on, Barry. Stop being grumpy. <laughs> 25 years ago, Barry and Linda opened their home to a small youth group that their daughters were part of and I was part of. And every Friday night, they made their home available to us. They gave us latitude to lead ourselves, but I'm sure they kept an eye on us. They made us teas and coffees, and if you happen to say, I don't mind, they would give you tea and coffee in the same cup. <laughs> Classic youth leader style. And I was just thinking about that. Here's some of the people that were involved with that. Tim Frisbee is now in full-time ministry. Andy King, who's part of the church plant up in uh, Kings Lynn. Alan Rose, who's leading a church up in York. Gail, who's on the mission field in the Middle East. And myself, who's leading a church. That's got to be something like 50% of the people that were there at the time. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? That is absolutely amazing. I'm sure it didn't seem very glamorous at the time. But amazing fruit has come out of that. One of the things that um, Morris said was he felt he was an instinctive disciple maker and hadn't personally sort of 
outbound systems all that useful. I think it's really important to identify the fact that disciples make disciples. It's not systems that make disciples. So whether, you, whether a disciple makes a disciple by using a system, fantastic. Use a tool if it's helpful. But that's neither here nor there, really. Disciples make disciples. I don't know if Barry and Linda had a system. I couldn't discern one. But just creating an environment that let us be ourselves and encouraged us has produced amazing fruit. I mean, quite amazing. (laughs) (laughs) If we did give ourselves to courageous multiplication of disciples, let me just hit a few things that might be possible. Giving would be through the roof. If we gave ourselves the courageous multiplication of disciples, giving would be through the roof because disciples give generously. They give faithfully. If we gave ourselves to this, neighborhoods would be transformed because disciples live radical lives. If we gave ourselves to this, families would be well-led and healthy because disciples, good disciples, make good parents. If we gave ourselves to this, our prayer meetings would be vibrant because disciples pray fervently with joy. Our worship meetings would be alive with praise because disciples love greatly. They are radiant worshipers. The nations would be changed because people like Gail would go to the nations. The church could look like a radically different place if we poured our lives into the next generation. If we did what Barry and Linda did 25 years ago, we will see amazing fruit in the years to come. It's so important to know that this isn't glamorous. And here's here's a little bit of a reality check. If I don't develop new elders, and in 30 years there aren't any new elders, that doesn't matter to me. I'm going to retire off into the sunset. So actually, I can get away with not giving myself to this because I'm not the one who pays the price for it. Does that make sense? You might not realize that the wolf is at the door because... Someone else has created enough disciples for your generation to exist. But if we don't do this today, we will reap the whirlwind in the years to come. It's really important to know that. Your structures might see you through the next 10 years. They might even see you through the next 20 years. But are they going to see you through the next 40 or 50 years? So... We need to be, to live with the end in mind. Live with the future in mind. We need to steward the future well for those who are coming up behind us. We need, as Mike said, to be the coaches of the hero and not the hero. So the implication is that it's not glamorous, but it is fruitful. We might think we can ignore it, but it's going to impact the next generation So, I've just hinted at what the showroom could look like. 
if we take care of it or what the showroom would look like if we completely neglect it. But Valter's going to lead us through processing that a bit more. So this is all going to be about showrooms. Um, on your tables, you see a, a little see-through folder uh, with some cards in it. And uh, per table, what we've done, we've dished out some different uh, cards with different subjects on it. So uh, Daniel's just done a little bit of dreaming. What would it look like uh, for his eldership in 30 years' time if they didn't give themselves to courageous multiplication of disciples? We're going to do a bit of dreaming about what it would look like in 20 years' time, what it could look like if we did give ourselves to intentional discipleship, multiplication of courageous disciples. So uh, on your tables, there's different uh, themes. So there is working with the poor, there is um, eldership, there is kids' work, there is youth work, and we have evangelism. Now, that, those are just a, a few sections. Obviously, there's many more across church life, and if your specific area of ministry is not on there, don't worry. Uh, this is really a conversation to be had to help you think a little bit outside of your own context, what it could look like specifically for your church. So, uh, a bit of dreaming that we're going to be doing. So, uh, in pairs, we're going to have a conversation. What could it look like if you gave yourself or if your church gave itself to courageous multiplication uh, of disciples in this particular area. Does that make sense? Everyone's nodding. Great. Well, let's go and do it. So back into pairs, conversation together. What is it going to look like if we give ourselves intentionally to multiplication, courageous multiplication of disciples in the next 20 years? Wonderful. So um, we've done some dreaming. What could it look like in your specific area? Um, you might have been doing some thinking about areas of church life that you've never really thought of before, uh, or it may be your favorite uh, ministry area. Uh, that doesn't really matter. We're doing some exercises to help learn think outside the box. Uh, now, probably one of the uh, the biggest things about visiting IKEA is, is the problem is that there is so much to take in, it's really hard uh, to kind of identify. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm not a huge, great multitask. If I go into Ikea with my kids, I, I, like my main task is just get through it and make sure that I don't lose any kids on the way and make it downstairs, find the right item. But somewhere between the bathrooms and the kitchens, uh, you've kind of got overwhelmed with ideas that you, you suddenly got distracted, finding yourself laying in a bed and all sorts of things. Um, there, there is just so much to take in. Now, one of our biggest challenges is when we dream, most of the times we don't dream big enough. So uh, I think when we just had the example of multiplication, what could those figures look like? Um, most of us didn't really think about 33 million, did they, when we thought about multiplication, numbers on numbers on numbers. So what I'm going to do with you now is just lead you through a little bit of a challenging exercise to help uh, let your brain explode a little bit. So um, we've just had a conversation about what this could look like. Now we're going to ask you the question, imagine that that dream was 10 times bigger than you've just described what would that dream look like? So we're going to give you another five minutes in your pairs. What if you were to blow up your dream by 10 times? What could that look like? What's your conversation like 10 times bigger than what you just shared? Over to you. Excellent. Let's try this again. We're going to press the pause button on your conversation. Wow, this is fantastic. You're getting great. Um, 
I remember quite a few rides in uh, Morris uh, Green Sports Car uh, over to different places. And one of the questions he would often ask is, so 10 years time, money's not a problem, uh, time's not a problem. What, what would you want to be doing? What do you want God to do? And uh, I, I remember fumbling around with words, trying to kind of put something in place. And, uh, and usually when I answer the question, Morris would say, you're not going to need God for that, are you? That's way too small. Try and dream bigger, dream bigger. So next time we sat in the car, he would ask me, so five years' time, ten years' time, what would it look like? And I, again, I'll be struggling to try and articulate something. So, oh, it's a little better, but we're, yeah, you're, you're going to need God's one finger, but not a whole hand yet. So what, what, what else? So I think it's, it's, it's kind of learning your mind to grow in creativity when it comes to dreaming. And there's something about our culture that keeps dreams small, isn't it? It's almost seen as arrogant to dream big. But when it comes to the kingdom, Jesus didn't give small dreams to his disciples. He said, go and reach the whole world. Um, so what we're going to do now is um, we're going to continue do a bit of dreaming. So hopefully this uh, exercise uh, was a, a little bit difficult, kind of switching uh, the gears in your brain. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of conversation around the tables uh, to hear what you've been discussing in pairs, what it could look like. And uh, if, uh, if stuff comes up that doesn't really sound like you're going to need God for it, you have permission to say that to one another uh, and challenge one another what it could really look like. So I assume that we're not going to land on it in the first go, um, but that we're going to have to learn how to grow in stimulating one another to dream. So we're going to do that around our tables uh, for about uh, seven minutes. Uh, and then after that, we're going to uh, get back and we're going to do some feedback in the room to hear around the different tables what's been shared. All right, over to you for the next six and a half minutes. Well, let's press pause on our conversations. We'll continue them over the, uh, the next few days. And uh, let's do a little bit of feedback together. So the idea of these conversations is to uh, plant yourself in an IKEA living room, looking around thinking, hmm, I could get used to this. Uh, I don't know about you, but having these conversations around your table, thinking, wow, we could get used to this. This is exciting stuff. So uh, what we're going to do is uh, a little bit of feedback around the uh, around the room. So you'll have been looking at one specific area of church life. So we're going to do a little bit of feedback uh, from each of the tables to get a bit of feedback on what that could look like. And uh, we're going to ask you to describe your big dream. So we don't want to hear small dreams. We want to hear big dreams. What could this look like? And uh, it'll be helpful for one person from each group to, uh, to do that. And uh, to help us all to uh, stick to time, we've got a little buzzer that we're going to set up so you get one minute per uh, table, and uh, in one minute, you can describe your big dream. Do you reckon we can do this? Yeah? Right. Well, why don't we start with uh, the guys over there in that corner. Can you describe us what your area is, and then within one minute, explain what your big dream sounds like? So our area was um, kids' work, and um, we've got um, an idea that in 20 years' time that we'll, our youth group in the church will um, be a hub with many activities spun off from it that are where our children are um, reaching out to the friends that they have at school, having sports clubs, um, music, arts, um, and that will be a real evangelistic um, setting. Um, 
Our vision of our children is that they're going to be baptized, that they will be ministering outside of the children's rooms, that they will be praying for miracles in their schools, um, that we'll have too many people wanting to be involved with the children's work. Come on! (laughs) And that our children will be genuinely worshipping. It's going to be in their own style, but we can see that they're worshipping and loving the word and living the life. Excellent. Wow, look at that. And timing perfectly. Very good. Great dreaming. Great dreaming. Hello. Um, So we had evangelism in 20 years' time. So we said, uh, very simply, that Jesus would return because the world would be reached. Hallelujah. That was 10 seconds. Thank you. Who's next? Um, No, uh, we we did say things, other things would happen. For example, um, uh, society would change dramatically, uh, culture uh, it would have a ripple effect uh, on the culture. We were reminded of that verse about if my people turn from their wicked ways, um, he'll heal the land. So it would have like a, an impact on everything um, from the, in the church setting to out of the church setting to society. It would have huge ramifications everywhere um, because we've got big global vision here. Amen. Very good. And you get a 15 seconds bonus for Jesus returns. That's wonderful. Right. Do you want to hand over the microphone to the next table? And... Uh, I'll hear some more. Okay, we were were very uh, keen to recognize that actually um, multiplying elders depends partly on the success of everyone else's areas because um, we need elders to shepherd the uh, disciples that everyone else is making. So I think it was uh, partly just recognizing that, but at the same time realizing that it's very important to invest in that because our big vision of um, a thousand churches across Europe in the next 50 years um, will require an awful lot of leaders. So if you multi- if you courageously multiply your elderships, then you're going to have more elders than are needed in your current local situation, so you can give them away. So a, a sort of overflow of eldership into the nations, that was our big vision, um, but also recognizing that um, the, the, the focus is not on necessarily just building leadership, it's on building the leadership based on the disciples you're making, so you're putting your energies in there too. Brilliant. Fantastic. Really good. Do you want to hand it over to uh, the table behind you? Yeah, so we had elders as well. Um, and initially I, was just, initially, I was just thinking of like a church building just packed with elders to the ceiling and just sort of spilling over. Uh, <laughs> and people sort of running, screaming as these elders go out into the, into the town. Um, <laughs> but also kind of, a, you know, like having, if you can imagine a globe and having this net kind of spreading over the globe and it's interconnected. Um, and, and yeah, as it spreads, it kind of it can just keep developing and, and developing and building. And I think there's a beautiful thing in, in having communities of elders who can look out for each other um, and then also kind of catch fish together. It's a, it's, a, it's a massive vision there that we can catch fish as an army. Um, but like these guys were saying, it's not just elders. It's more than that. It's the whole church. But elders can look out for the church and they can support the church in that. Um, yeah. Brilliant. Fantastic. Thank you very much. If you want to hand the microphone through to table 11, that would be wonderful. So multiplying fathers is going to do great good for families. How about you guys? What did you have? We had working with the poor. So um, a few of the things that we got down here were um, us as Christians, as, ch- as churches, breaking down uh, the barri- barriers in terms of uh, people's perception of Christians and uh, us as Christians being more vulnerable and 
you know, so it's not we're not just kind of looking like these shiny, shiny people, but people can see that we we have, you know, we we are open to to people, and um, so that was one of them. And then um, we had uh, can't move my writing. Everyone has a heart for the poor, so it's not just left to specialists or people that are working for charities or something. Uh, you know, more like acts to so sharing, uh, you know, our possessions with with people, that kind of thing. Um, and then influencing government agencies, uh, actually working with government agencies, policy, being policy makers, being involved in, in some of the decisions that are made, uh, you know, kind of as a nation. Wonderful. Thank you. Brilliant. That's really helpful. So multiplication of our heart. I guess when there's a multiplication, these areas will start to merge together, isn't it? It's a, it's a vision for all of life, not just specific areas. Right, let's do a few more. Uh, how about you guys? Did you have eldership as well? No. no? We had evangelism. Evangelism, great. Uh, so we were looking at our own individual context and uh, being inspired by each other. Um, so I'm speaking from a Home Bay perspective particularly. Uh, but we had uh, everyone in Herne Bay would have heard of Jesus, tens of thousands saved. No one would be lonely. There'd be some place for everyone to go that they could call home. Uh, that there'd be leading partnerships across the town, and we would have an intergalactic church plant. So we're, we're headed to Mars and uh, the moon as well. I like it. Very good. Very good. Well, between Jesus returning and intergalactic church planting, I think we're, we're getting the picture. Dreaming big. Right, let's uh, head over to youth. Let's see whether we can convert aliens as well and uh, <laughs> hear what's, uh, what's to come. Um, we had youth work and uh, looked at it in different ways. Um, so one way, uh, just saying it would be more, uh, as we disciple, it would be more salvation, which would make a change in culture, affecting society. Um, so looking at stuff that's in the news at the moment, reduction in crime, knife crime, drug use and that kind of thing. It can't not change the culture, really. Um, but then we we started chewing over the sort of numbers a little bit. And Amy had said about there being three people in the youth group or something at Colchester. But actually using David's multiplication model, that means in 20 years' time, Colchester, Redeemer Church, Colchester will have about 800,000 people in it. Um, and... Uh, I looked, um, I was just saying, our town is quite small. It's, I suppose, 8,000 people, maybe slightly more than that now. So if our current youth group multiplies in a similar way, our entire school system would either be saved or be in the process of every mum and dad on the playground. Because of the numbers involved, we'd be up to about 5,000 out of 8,000 in the community. It would be phenomenal, and that can't not have an effect on everything else. Excellent, excellent, really good. Um, let's just hold it there, Penny. Um, I think we'll let press pause. We're going to get to you uh, at the, the other part of the program, so don't worry, we're not going to leave you out. But um, before we've made our way all around the room, uh, we were probably lost a bit of traction. Um, we um, we did a visit a couple of weeks ago uh, to uh, uh, down south, and uh, we met up with Ben Williams, and uh, he's a uh, deputy head at a Christian uh, secondary school, and uh, it was hugely inspiring hearing them talking about a Christian ethos for a school. So often we kind of 
of think about uh, our small context church would kind of think like, what could youth uh, work look like if we had them for a couple of hours a week? And he was just thinking, well, what could youth work look like if we had them every day of the week, uh, midweek, and we filled our whole school day with prayer walks and prayer weeks and activities? And it was just so inspiring thinking the bigger you start to think, you're no longer thinking in small pockets, but you're kind of thinking all of life. So what would it look like for families to be on fire, youth work, uh, schools, media, um, I think you're talking about changing a culture and reaching a generation. So, wow, this is great. Some great big thinking, Jesus coming back into collective church planting, youth revival. I think we are starting to get the picture of thinking big. Um, You have a little bit of time to... um, think this through over coffee in a minute. Uh, Before we're going to do that, uh, Daniel's going to do a wonderfully slick uh, book plug uh, to get you inspired, and uh, then we're going to head over to some uh, hot refreshments. Great. Well, um, just want to mention this book, which is on the resources table over there, Building a Discipling Culture. I want to recommend it as a book for coaches. If we're thinking that we're the coaches of the heroes rather than the heroes, this is a great book for stimulating your thinking So to give you an example from chapter 10, which talks about what to expect when you're teaching people new things. Imagine someone, a child, doesn't know that they can't drive a car. Because they don't know that they can't drive a car, they're happy. They're ignorant. And that's what lots of our churches are like. People aren't giving, but they don't care because they've never given, and um, they're quite happy having all that money in their bank. But then you start to say to them, actually... Giving is something that God's called us to, and it's really wonderful. So they start taking faltering steps. Your, your teenager gets into the car and starts to try and drive, and they find it really difficult. So when you first start coaching people, they find whatever you're teaching them really difficult. And then they come into a place where if they think about it really carefully, they can just about manage it. And then later on, they can do it without thinking about it. But if you know that those four stages exist and that you are inevitably going to go through those four stages, ignorance, and then it's really, really difficult, and then they can do it if they're really concentrating, and then they can do it with ease. If you know you're going to go through those four stages, it just helps you anticipate the bumps in the road. So when they start getting panicky, that doesn't mean it's not working. It probably means it is working. So just stuff like that, wisdom like that, packed throughout this book, what I would suggest, because um, this isn't everyone's bag, this isn't everyone's cup of tea, but what we sometimes do in our eldership is we, when we hear about a good resource, we just assign someone to read it, to digest it, and to bring a digest to us, a one-page summary, and what 10 things do you think we should implement having read it? So maybe you should just get one of those for someone on your team uh, to, to bring a digest and some reflections for you so you don't all have to wade through it. So that's available over there. Otherwise, go and grab some coffee, half an hour break. Brilliant. Enjoy. You're doing brilliantly.